0: Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast, coming to you live from the home studio in Abieta Springs. Today on the podcast, we are looking at the subject of the power of our words, the way that our words can be used to Go along with the purposes and intentions of God for His people in this world and how we can use our words in ways that uh, are anti-kingdom and destroy the lives of people. The text today is out of James chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 12. And just a reminder that next weekend we kick off two services. So we will have a service at 9.30 and one at 11. So if you're planning on joining us, take that into account. Let's go ahead and head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard. Downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Today we're going to do a message on the power of our words, and this is coming from James chapter three. Uh, verses 1 through 12, and it's on the front of your bulletin if you have it, so I'm just going to go ahead and read this. James says in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Not my favorite verse in the Bible. (laughs) We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image and likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. A very uplifting passage of scripture, wouldn't you say? (laughs) James starts off with one of my least favorite verses but it is it's one of those words that's don't be a teacher if you can you know i remember when they sent us out to to plant this church a few years ago when i before they sent us out i talked to Phil i told him we'd like to go plant a church and Phil says is there anything else you can do with your life besides this he tried to talk me out if there's anything else you can do do that like you're it's just you you are halfway insane to go plant a church um, but james is saying You shouldn't want to be the guy up there on stage teaching because it opens you up to judgment. I I, I can experience this with my family sometimes. I'll say something on a Sunday morning, and Dean will be like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) and That's the judgment. The the, the moment you proclaim something uh, as if you've got a handle on it, everybody in the audience who sees you in your everyday life is saying,
1: hmm, I don't know,
0: I'm not so sure about that. That's why a lot of times when I'm speaking, I have to say, um, I'm teaching this not as someone who has attained this aspect of truth in my life, but someone who is in the process of it. But James goes on from there to say the person that can control what they say, can control their mouth, has uh, come to a point of mastery over their whole being. And he uses the the analogy here of a rudder on a boat and a bit in a horse's mouth. If you look at a bit or a rudder, neither one of those technologies, they're very simple, but neither one of them actually have anything to do with the power that moves either the horse or the ship. But this one little bitty piece of technology can steer the course of a great vessel. James is kind of making the analogy here that we steer the course of our lives with the words that we speak. Your life will follow your words. Because really, we're going to find out here in a minute, our words are actually tied into our heart. They're tied into the way that we see the world, the, the way that we imagine God, the way that we understand other people. Our words direct our life. And we see this every week, Right? Especially now that we're in uh, another presidential election cycle, um, there are, we, we hear reports every week about some politician who tweeted something and they wish they could take it back. But once you tweet it, you can't take it back, right? Um, or someone who sends an email that they thought was just going to one person and they accidentally copied all these other people. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had the, 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 the bad experience of being on a group text? <laughs> and then you think you're texting one other person and 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 you're saying something about this other person. I mean, I've never done that, but I've I've had friends. <laughs> not not even that you're saying something about this other person, but that you just maybe saying something that you didn't want to discuss with that other person. You think you're having co- and then you realize, "Oh dang, I was having that conversation with this person with 12 other people." <laughs> Or perhaps you've butt-dialed somebody and then proceeded to say some things you didn't want them to hear. These kinds of things have, have, a, have a habit of altering a person's life. People lose their jobs. Their careers go a whole different direction. Uh, some, some people get divorced or lose um, you know, position in a community over such words. And that's in a dramatic sense. But it's not just the words that we speak that direct our lives. And by the way, I don't think it's just the words we speak. James was writing in a context where most people did not read or write. The majority of the population was illiterate. I think if James was writing today, he would include texts, emails, Facebook status updates, and tweets, okay? Um, Because that's half of our communication now. I mean... My daughter's generation, that's probably 80% of their their communication. Them them young folks. I just don't get (laughs) it. But it's not just the words that we speak. It's the words that have been spoken to us. If you're fortunate in here today, maybe you had one or two adults in your life as a child, maybe a parent, maybe a teacher, maybe a coach who saw something in you and called that out of you someone who affirmed something good in you someone who blessed you did did, did any of y'all have somebody like that as a child someone who just saw something in you And what did that do to you I remember when when I would receive a word of encouragement as a child it opened me up to new possibilities that I couldn't see before it still works that way by the way even as an adult You ever get into a place where you're just depressed and down on yourself and someone sends you a letter or an email or or just calls you up and encourages you and it's like all of a sudden, the sun comes through the clouds. That's the way our words were intended to work, right? But I'm sure for everyone who could say you had a positive adult in your life who said something good at some point in your life when you were growing up, every one of us in here can recall words that were hurtful when we were children. Right? Maybe you were bullied at school. Maybe you were made fun of. Maybe it wasn't at school. Maybe it was in your own family. Maybe it was your mother, your father. You're never going to amount to anything. You're stupid. Why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you be more like your brother? Those words, they stick with us, don't they? And they chart the direction of our life, don't they? We have this stupid little phrase that we say when we're kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? That's a lie. At least if you get a broken bone, you can get it healed, right? Somebody beat you with a stick, you might have a chance to recover. But those words... That we hear when we're kids, even as adults, but particularly when we're young, those words that criticize us and belittle us and make us feel small and worthless, we can remember them for the rest of our lives. And for many people, they will actually chart the entire direction of their life. That's the power of words. And this is where James gets into the, to the really dark place of, of, of how evil our words can be because he says our words are like a spark that sets a whole forest on fire. You see all these wildfires going on out in California. It's not because somebody had this big bonfire. It's usually somebody throwing a cigarette out a window. Something you know very small catches square miles of brush on fire, threatens homes. Have you ever noticed that that's the way that, that gossip travels in our world? It spreads like wildfire, huh? This Ashley Madison thing a couple of weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. Ashley Madison, if, if, if you've been living under a rock, it's this, this website <laughs> that where, where um, married people would go to seek out somebody to have an affair with. It's, it's a horrible concept, um, But there was something like 30 million names of of people who were signed up on it leaked. So all these people thought they were going to have a covert affair, and now their information is out there. Estimates were, uh, I I read one article that that, uh, two weekends ago, that that there was going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 to 1,000 pastors having to resign because their names were found on that list. Um, But the sad thing to me is just how quickly we jump in with our opinions. I turned on WWL radio the other day and all of a sudden, man, the two, two guys doing the, the talk show, man, they're talking about, oh, this politician and that person and people are calling in and there's just like this glee, like this, ha, 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 They got caught. And it just spreads like wildfire. You see it blowing up on Facebook and on TV. Everybody's talking about it. And I had a good friend of mine call me right after all this happened and, and he was so upset. He says, my, my co workers He's just going on and on, trying to find everybody he knows on the list in the area. And he's like, it's breaking my heart. He said, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd have jumped in with him, but God's done so much in my heart that, that I realized that these guys that got on that list, yeah, they did something stupid, but they're broken people. They're people who don't need to be condemned and criticized and judged and beat down. They need to find some way of healing. If you get on a site like that it's an indication that there's something broken in you. And my friend he he, he said, you know, the sad thing is he said there's going to be people who don't just lose their jobs or lose their families, they're going to kill themselves. And lo and behold, the, you know, within a day or two, I started hearing stories of people who ki- killed themselves because of that. Why? Because the power of words. Words like a fire. James says that our words, that the, the, the real power behind the, the power of our words is hell itself. Whoa. Now, I want to say something about hell here. I don't, I don't preach on hell much. So I'm, going to, I'm going to preach on hell. 43 years old. A little Hellfire. The word that is translated hell, the majority of the time in the New Testament, um, was actually a word called Gehenna. And Gehenna was an actual place that that if you grew up in Jerusalem, um, if you were there in the first century, you knew Gehenna because if the wind was blowing the right direction, you could smell Gehenna. It was a garbage dump in this valley next to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is this city on a hill. It's a prototype of the kingdom of God. It represents the kingdom of God all throughout the Bible. When we see the in Revelations the end of all things, it's the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. It's God's kingdom reflected in its fullness. The new Jerusalem will be the place where creation finally meets its ultimate fulfillment, its ultimate purposes for which it has been created Human beings will find their ultimate flourishing under the rule of God. That's where this thing is going. And Jerusalem is a, a prototype of that. It was the one place on earth throughout the Old Testament where the presence of God was thought to actually dwell on earth in the temple. But if Jerusalem is the prototype of, uh, or, or picture of the kingdom of God, then Gehenna is the anti-kingdom. I went to Gehenna. I went to Jerusalem a few years ago and I remember standing on the wall of Jerusalem and you can look down into the Valley of Gehenna and I was really bummed because I looked everywhere at these little souvenir shops because I wanted to bring a, a, a t-shirt back to my son that said, my dad went to hell and all he brought me back was this dumb t-shirt. <laughs> but nobody was selling those. Um, but Gehenna, it, was, it, it carried these 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 very... Disturbing connotations because it represented one of the worst times in the history of Israel. Israel decided they were going to worship this God named Molech. And the way you worship Molech, if you want to appease him and get his blessings in favor, is you would offer your children to be burned in the fires. The Jewish people burned their own children, sacrificed their own children, burned alive to this God Molech to appease him. And so you can see how this place became associated with horrible things. And, and by the time Jesus comes on the scene, it was seen as a cursed place. And it's no wonder why it became a dump. I mean, uh, when you hear Jesus' words about Gehenna, don't, don't, just, don't think like just eternal flames where souls burn forever. It was an actual place. They would throw dead bodies out in Gehenna of, of criminals who, who wouldn't have a proper burial. And those criminals' bodies would be burned and worms would eat them up because it's a dump. It's a bad place. But ultimately, it, it, it represents the anti-kingdom. Nobody moves to Gehenna. Nobody builds houses there. It's not a place of flourishing. It's the ultimate destination for things that have failed to meet their created purpose in God. I know last week we celebrated the 10-year uh, anniversary, uh, anniversary of Katrina. And I remember coming into New Orleans, Kenner, um, you know, within a week of the storm, we, we, the staff pastors from the vineyard on the South Shore, we we snuck in with a convoy, and the first thing we did uh, when it was daylight was we went around to each other's houses to help each other um, clean out our refrigerators. And if any of y'all were living in New Orleans at the time, you can remember the funk, and yeah. It was good for me at the time because Dina was a vegan. And so our refrigerator was mainly filled with rotten vegetables. That's doable. I went to my friend Peter's house, and he just bought groceries before Katrina. He had all this seafood and steaks and ground meat. And I literally could hardly even get to his front door. And then when he cracked open his front door, I'm like, dude, I love you, but I can't help you here. Like, I just <laughs> he lived on this apartment, and I'm just like leaning over the rail, just heaving, like, I can't do this, I can't go in there. And that was a week after the storm. For people that didn't make it back to their homes until several weeks or a couple of months later, what, what most of them did was they didn't even think of cleaning out the refrigerator at all. They took duct duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> And wrapped it up. And some people even put a sign on their refrigerator that said, don't open. Like, like anybody who lived down there was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> but I remember driving down my street in Kenner, and there's all these piles of, of you know, moldy furniture and sheetrock and carpet and belongings that had been flooded. And in between these piles, there were these perfectly good refrigerators that had been plugged into a wall preserving food just a couple of weeks before and now they were taped up and they were actually doing the opposite of preserving food they were filled with rotten meat and i remember driving down the street one day and i, th- I just thought this is a picture of gehenna something that is created to do one thing and it's it, 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 it's it's actually ended up doing the opposite actually it's not doing anything it's a picture of the anti-kingdom. See, James is kind of going in this direction towards the end where he's of this passage where he's, he's making the point that we can use our words in a way that validates what God is doing or in a way that tears down his creation. James makes this statement. He says, how is it that we can come to church i'm paraphrasing here come to church on a sunday morning and say i feel love i feel safe i feel jesus in this place glory to the king but then on monday morning when we're standing around the water cooler with our uh coworkers we can just tear down another coworker or criticize our boss or point our finger at someone else. And what James is saying, when you point your finger at some other person and criticize them, you're cursing God's creation. This is what it would be like in just human terms. Say when I met me when I met Dina, my wife now, um Say when I met Dina and we started dating, we decided to get married, we're in love, and we get married, and then as soon as we get married, I find the things that Dina loves most in her life, the things that that mean the most to her, and every time I'm hanging out with Dina, I spend my time tearing down the things that she holds most dear. (laughs) I'm not a marriage counselor, but that's not a a recipe for a happy marriage, right? Right? There is a sense that if you love somebody, you you, you want to love the things that they love, right? And so James is saying, how can we say we love God when we curse his most prized possessions? People created in his image and likeness and his good intentions. What would it be like if we actually looked at the other human beings around us and in our world, and we actually believe that they were created in the image of God, and that actually God created them with good intentions, like they weren't just like, you know, the, the misfit toys or whatever, you know, they weren't just broken, damaged goods. But what if we actually believe God intended for them to exist? And that they have a unique capacity for showing forth His image. What if we truly believe that God loves the people He created? Even the ones that we don't like. (laughs) How might that change the way we speak? Our words can be motivated by those same forces that destroy by Gehenna. That 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 take God's good creation and push it out by the side of the road wrapped in duct tape that, that are that are aligning with those kinds of purposes, or we can use our words in ways that encourage, that reveal God's goodness, that bless people, that participate with the kingdom plans of God. But I gotta be honest. James does not leave us in a very hopeful place here. <laughs> James, James says, man, we've tamed all kinds of animals. And we're going to tame some more. But nobody can tame the human tongue. <laughs> it's full of evil, deadly poison. What are we to do? Do we just go, ah, Bible says I can't tame this thing. I'm sorry, man. I just, I just say crazy stuff sometimes. <laughs> That's my verse. <laughs> can't tame it (laughs) might as well just go with it i don't think that's what james is getting at so i want to leave you with these last three thoughts here number one i think what james is getting at is trying to raise our awareness you know we did this little series on the the 12 steps the first step of the 12 steps is, is is admitting that your life is out of control (laughs) <laughs> you can't do it. So you don't get to move on to the other steps until you realize there's a problem. So hopefully these passages will wake us up today that there's a problem. There is a problem when we revel in gossip. Well, I, I think I put that little passage down from uh, yeah, Proverbs twenty six twenty two. The words of a gossip are like delicate morsels. They sink deep down within. You ever get some words of gossip and you're like, oh man, Mm. can I have some more? It's like those butter crisp donuts when they're hot and fresh. But if it was just like tasty morsels, that would be one thing. But we treat it like it's a new restaurant that opened up in town. And we want to tell all our friends about it, Right? We pass this gossip on. We get people involved in it. We participate in these things that destroy human beings. The first step is awareness. God, help us to be aware of the words that we're saying. Secondly, practicing The spiritual discipline of speaking and writing words of blessing and encouragement to others. You know, we think of spiritual disciplines a lot of times as as having a quiet time, reading your Bible, praying. You want to change your life? You want to change the course of your life, the direction of your life? Try this spiritual discipline. I put a little exercise down at the bottom of the page, write down the names of five people, a friend, a family member, a coworker, someone that gets on your nerves and someone you consider an enemy, and sit with God and try to write some good words. It might be hard. <laughs> Jesus said, "Don't bless our enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. He's not asking us to do something easy, but we're never going to get good at it if we never try. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, I don't do this enough. But sometimes I'll just sit down and I'll think of people who mean something to me. And I'll just begin writing down some things I, I'm thankful for about that person. And it's amazing. It only takes a couple of lines. And all of a sudden, it's just like uh, you, you get in the flow of, of God's kingdom. And what His Spirit is saying. And all of a sudden, you just unload a, a torrent of, of good words and blessings and encouragement. Go on to another another person's name. And it's just amazing how when you get caught up in it, it changes you. Try that as a spiritual discipline. And the last thing is, I think there is a sense that when we try this as a spiritual discipline, when we ask for awareness, we're going to be bummed out because we're going to see how much we use our words in bad ways. Jesus says, It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. (laughs) Our problem is really our heart. We can't tame our tongue, but we can change our heart. And part of that heart change comes through these disciplines of trying (laughs) because they force us into a place of grace with God. They force us into that place where we just let go and God can move. The last thing I want to say And lest I be judged too harshly on this last statement, I will say I have not attained these things, but I'm pressing on. (laughs) If you can't say anything good or write anything good, don't say anything. Sometimes we just need to keep our mouths shut, don't we? You know, last year, (laughs) uh, I I, um, started some... Discussions on theology and certain issues, and thinking that we could have a nice, productive discussion on Facebook. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> and I was blown away. I've never been called such horrible things publicly on my page. <laughs> As an adult in my life, people felt, I guess I guess when you're behind a computer screen, you don't have to look somebody in the eye. You can just rip people to shreds. And I remember trying to keep my heart in check, and Lord, Lord I don't want to be so defensive, and I don't want to just accuse them back, but this hurts. And I found myself, even if I wasn't responding, I'd be telling my friends about it, you know, and I'm just like, ugh. And I really feel like, God, there are times where I do feel like I need to speak into something, but I really feel like what God is saying to me a lot, and I'm not trying to put this on you, but what he's saying to me is that sometimes I just need to keep my mouth shut and ask God for more creative ways that might yield better fruit. So for me, I've I've been writing a lot more songs lately than Facebook posts, which is probably better. Which leads me to this this last um, last bit. Uh, we I sang this song in worship, and um, I'm just going to close with it again. And I just want it to be a meditation, and I want you to think, as you hear these words, are there people in your life, or even not in your life, that you have been cursing with your words? I'm not saying just calling them curse words, but... You've been criticizing them. You've been judging them. Bring those to the Lord right now and ask him for his help to become a blessing. I just wrote this song a couple weeks ago. It wasn't inspired by James, but I just felt like it was relevant to the passage today. So.
1: don't need to be heard, I need to be quiet I don't need to vent, I need to be silent I don't need to rant, I need just to be still I don't need to make believe, I need the real I don't need the TV, what I need is sight I don't need a megaphone, I need the light I don't need to charge head. I need to sit I don't need to keep fighting, I need to quit To open up my heart, open up my eyes and see. I lay my burdens down, I lay my weapons down, and just be. I don't need to struggle. I just need to kneel. I don't need to numb the pain I need to feel I don't need to speak, I just need to hear I don't need to hurt no one, I need to heal Don't need to be cool, I need to be connected Don't need to be used, I need to be accepted I don't need to run, I just need to stand Don't need a clenched fist, I need an open hand To open up my heart, open up my eyes and see Lay my burdens down, lay my weapons down, and just be, need to open up my heart, open up my eyes and see, lay my burdens down, lay my weapons down, and Don't need to protest, I need to transform Don't need to accuse, I need to be reborn Don't need to be caught up in delusions so grand I don't need to know, I need to understand
0: Lord, this morning I pray your blessing upon everyone gathered here. God, help us to use our words in alignment with your kingdom, your spirit, what you're saying, what you're doing, your purposes, rather than the anti-kingdom, God. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring awareness in the areas where we have used our words to tear down. And ultimately, God, we ask for you to change our hearts God that we could speak blessings from hearts that know truly your blessings in the depths of our being Lord
1: in Jesus name
0: Amen Um, I'm just going to ask the prayer team to come up here and if you'd like to stick around and get some personal prayer feel free to do that All right, otherwise, go out and enjoy this wonderful gift from God that is this lovely day. Go Saints. See you next weekend for our two services, 9 and 1130. Or 930 and 11. (laughs) Just show up sometime and there will be something going on.